a while back, my wife, the awesome Ruth Steve, and I had the incredible, wonderful experience of visiting the state of Hawaii. We actually were on the island of Oahu, and I'd never been there before. Ruth had been there as a little girl at age 10. And Hawaii is beautiful, and the beaches, the sunsets, the, all the flora and fauna, and it's just it's truly an amazing place. Um, but one of the most memorable experiences we had was when we visited Pearl Harbor, when we visited the uh, memorial and the museum and the, the, the incredible uh, memories that were, that were uh, really shared there about the attack on Pearl Harbor. And just to refresh your memory, it's actually been, this is the 80th year anniversary on this Memorial Day weekend, we remember it. Uh, on December 7th, 1941, the Empire of Japan attacked the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Uh, the surprise and totally unprovoked attack by some 350 Japanese aircraft sunk or badly damaged 18 U.S. naval vessels, including eight battleships, uh, destroyed or damaged 300 U.S. aircraft, and killed over 2,400 men. It was such uh, a day of infamy, as President Roosevelt said at the time. And we were able to visit the memorial of the USS Arizona. Uh, the USS Arizona was sunk and over 1,100 of those who served on the USS Arizona were killed. And over 900 of them were actually entombed and their bodies were never removed from the harbor at Pearl Harbor. You can go, though, to this incredible memorial, and it's an incredibly moving experience. And you can see the names of all the men who lost their lives on that day. Uh, and then there's a handful of names, not very many, who have chosen uh, to have their remains entombed with those who lost their lives. They died much later in life, but they wanted to have their final resting place be with those they served alongside. And on this uh, Memorial Day weekend, we will re really remember heroes like those at Pearl Harbor. Through all of our nation's history, those who made that ultimate sacrifice of their lives. Uh, there were a lot of heroes, and there have been many. One I want to mention today uh, was a, a hero at Pearl Harbor. His name uh, was a man named Doris Miller. And one author writes it this way, saying Doris Miller's skin color usually relegated him to the role of cook and laundry attendant aboard the USS West Virginia. But when the ship was struck by multiple bombs and torpedoes on December 7, 1941, he became one of the most vital crew members. Miller had rushed to his battle station uh, amidships as soon as the shooting started. Finding it destroyed, the amateur boxer sprinted to the quarter deck and used his hulking frame to help move the injured. Miller was among the men who carried the ship's mortally wounded skipper to safety. And he then helped pass ammunition to the crews of their 250 caliber machine guns. Despite having no weapons training whatsoever, 
he eventually manned one of the weapons himself and began blasting away at the Japanese fighters swarming around the ship. He later remembered, quote, it wasn't hard. I just pulled the trigger and she worked fine. I think I got one of those planes. They were diving pretty close to us. Miller continued to operate the gun for some 15 minutes until ordered finally to abandon ship. His actions earned him, and you can see it here in this photo, the, 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 earned him the Navy Cross, the first ever presented to an African-American. And he was widely hailed as a war hero in the black press. He was later toured the country promoting war bonds before being reassigned to the escort carrier Liscombe Bay. And sadly, Miller was among the 646 crewmen killed when that ship was torpedoed and sunk about two years later in 1943. We honor heroes this Memorial Day weekend, all who gave their lives for our security and freedom. Today, I want to shift our focus, and as we remember that, we also think about other kind of heroes, kind of everyday heroes. And, and I ask the question, how are heroes born? How do you become a hero? And uh, sure, in times of war, there's many opportunities for people to uh, express heroism when citizens protect their nation. But in everyday peacetime or in everyday life, how do you become a hero? And when we talk about our Christian faith, how can we become heroes uh, in following Jesus? In our personal relationships, in everyday life, how do we do that? And so I want to go back to the passive scripture. We've actually looked at the last two weekends. And here again, the book of Acts record the remarkable movement of God in the early church, and especially focusing in on when the early Christians were persecuted and fled from Jerusalem to Antioch. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. So again, that's the, the incredible record of the church at Antioch and, and what happened there. But I want to note two traits that made these people uh, absolutely heroes. And they're actually ones that we can live out. 
We don't have to wait for some epic event, some a war to break out, or even a famine to break out. We can, we can be everyday heroes. We can become heroes. And I think deep inside every one of us, we want our lives to count. We want to make a difference. We want to be heroes, certainly to our family, but also to our neighbors, to our community, to our nation, to our world. And so how do we do that? And I want to talk about two traits today. And the first trait in becoming a hero that really stands out in the book of Acts in this church at Antioch was they faced hardship with faithful endurance. And that trait of faithful endurance is one I really want to elevate today. It says, now those who'd been scattered as a result of the persecution that had started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus, and the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number believed turned to the Lord. So we want to start by talking about Stephen's martyrdom. This was a shocker to the early church, because what had happened is, up to this point, they'd faced some opposition. They'd been called before the Sanhedrin because they were sharing about Jesus that had been raised from the dead, earlier crucified by the authorities. And this caused a lot of ruckus, and there were a lot of people, thousands, who had come to faith in in Jesus as the Messiah in Jerusalem in the early days. And that had caused some persecution, but it really met its culmination, we read in in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen appeared before the Sanhedrin, his speech, which just shared the history of Israel leading up to Jesus and how he was the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures, that created such an uproar that they actually stoned him to death. And at that point, it gets real serious, because now, yes, we had seen Jesus crucified but then we'd seen him raised, but now one of his followers had been killed. And suddenly the stakes were raised and, and it got, it could get re- really sad and, and really kind of scary just for the ordinary men and women in those days. And so eventually this persecution continued to occur so much so that people had to run for their lives. And most of the Jewish Christians fled Jerusalem. A few stayed behind, including the apostles, but many of them fled to to the hinterlands, including all the way north to Antioch, which was 300 miles, a very far distance in the ancient world. And if you remember Antioch, and we talked about this uh, last weekend or two, uh, it was really uh, an immoral place. It was a place of deep polytheism, lots of idols, lots of immorality, lots of uh, idolatry, uh, and there were very few uh, uh, Jewish believers uh, at all it, it had made their way there. Uh, and so now we're just seeing this, many of them arriving in the city. And, and Antioch was kind of a mixture of, if you put, uh, you know, Las Vegas and San Francisco and New York City and Santa Fe, New Mexico, and maybe New Orleans all mixed in together, that's what was going on there. And, you know, it was kind of like the saying was, you know, if it happened in Antioch, what, what happens in Antioch stays in Antioch sort of thing. And there the early Christians went and they, they could have been scared, but instead they just were very bold about sharing their faith. And, and they opened up and, and talked about Jesus. And, and it had a, a tremendous impact because many, the Lord's hand was upon them and many, many people came to faith in Jesus. But I want to talk about the persecution because that could have caused them to be silent, but instead made them bolder. And they faithfully endured hardships. And this didn't totally go away just because they were in a far off place. 
In fact, eventually Paul and Barnabas, who were there in Antioch, um, left Antioch, but eventually they returned and they circled back to Antioch. And here is what they emphasized when they returned to the city of Antioch and met with the believers there. They said, after they preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. And then it says, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith. Hang in there, faithful endure. It's going to be hard sometimes by telling them, as they said, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, God's marked out for you a lot of things in your life, but there's gonna to be tough times for you. And those early believers had experienced, obviously, the persecution in Jerusalem, but when they went to Antioch, life was hard. They were in a minority of people. They, didn't, they were misunderstood. Many people hated them. And even though they had great impact in their message, it was still hard. Plus, add to all this just the human hardships of being far from home of not knowing anybody. Employment was difficult to find. And in all of this ordinary hardships of life that they experienced as immigrants and outsiders to a culture that opposed all their values. And some of those things that we can identify with today and may identify with even more in the days and years to come. In the midst of that, we need to remember, we have to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We, we got to go through a lot of things as God shapes and molds us to really experience the reign of God in our lives and eventually to see him face to face. There's going to be some hard times ahead and we need to be prepared for those. And I go back to the teaching of Jesus because that's where they heard it first, right? And I want to just say to you, just very, just heart to heart here. I know for a lot of us, the last 15 months has been really tough. And I just want to encourage you, remain true. Keep going strong. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. We have to go through a lot of hardships in this life to really experience God in his fullness. Ruth and I, you guys know through her cancer journey and, and through walking along with you through the pandemic, you know, we ourselves, we get it. We know, we know life can be hard. So we just want to say, keep going strong and, and let's, let's get focused here. I, I think some of us, our heads are spinning and like, what's next? And sometimes there's a, a tendency to just like, we need some rest. But sometimes, and I get that, we do need that rest. But sometimes we need to get up off the couch, off the maybe just playing it safe and say, okay, let's shake it off. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this before, but you actually, the more you lay around and just veg out or, or become couch potato, the, the tireder you become. It actually will help you to be energized to get off uh, the couch and say, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna make a difference. But I'm telling you, you may face some opposition. As you get active in, in living out your life, that's, that's exciting and, and being a bridge builder to your neighbors, but you also may face some opposition. I want to go back to the teaching of Jesus here and recommit ourselves to getting active, very, very active in our faith and endure with faithfulness. First, we want to recommit ourselves to build bridges. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Remember, the common path of a lot of people in our culture is to be troublemakers, to take sides, to join in conflict, to enjoy the fighting, and to get nasty with people. The uncommon path is to be peacemakers. 
What peacemakers are not is peacemaker, finding peace at any price, just being appeasers of people, uh, people who have no moral background. Peacemaking is not about compromising your convictions or just approving of everything. Rather, real peacemakers hold on to their convictions, but they pursue harmony as much as they can in their personal relationships. They hold their views, but they avoid needless troublemaking and polarization. They reduce tensions rather than increase anxieties with others. They're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. They're patient with people, even their enemies, and the process it takes to befriend people. They're willing to go the extra mile, even for people who oppose them. They value the relationship and not just the issue that is at hand. And they pursue reconciliation whenever it's possible. Peacemakers build harmony and they go the extra mile for everybody. You know, somebody said years ago, our culture has their guard up and they said, we have to learn how to find the back door to people's hearts because the front door is heavily guarded. And the back door is just through simple everyday neighborly kindness. You want to influence our community, you want to influence culture, you want to influence society, you want to change things up, then love outsiders to the church. We talked about this a lot last week. Love those who are in need. Love the lost. Love the least. Love the last. Love those who are different from you. Love your enemies. That's where true heroes are born. In just a few days, we are going to be experiencing Lovey Des Moines Days. It's going to be a blast, guys, June 12th to 20th. And just to remind you, there's 150 plus free activities that you can volunteer in, participate in, invite people to come to. And there's incredible nine days of all kinds of activities. I'll just share a few with you um, in our Lovey Des Moines Days. There's water games and fitness classes and, and pickleball and parenting seminars and rocket making and story time and cooking workshops, pickup basketball, service activities activities where you serve our community and all sorts of service projects, video gameplay, just get together and with some friends and, and play some video games, block parties, target golf, bike repair, writer's workshops, imagination stations for kids, ice cream making, game night, coding classes, community book swaps, family movies, on and on it goes. It's a great way to serve those in need, but also just making everyday friendship opportunities, building bridges, being peacemakers, showing that we have the love of Jesus and showing it in real, just everyday life. It doesn't have to be in, in heroic moments of you know, battle on the battlefield. It can be just in everyday life where you sacrifice your time, your energy for the sake of others and build friendships. And the truth is, when we do that, we become, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the sons of God. We become like our Father, who, who loves all people, and like the ultimate peacemaker, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed his life on the cross so that we could be set free. But let's keep going. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Yes, we have a high calling to do what's right, and to be in line with God's will, will and to Follow him wholeheartedly. But we also know that that comes uh, with great reward. We experience the kingdom of heaven. That, it belongs to us. We get to see God at work in our hearts first, transforming us, but also in the people whose lives we touch 
and influence our neighbors. You have that high calling. Will you embrace that? That's part of being a hero. And then realize that your high calling is going to bring some opposition. He goes on to say, you're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you. Yes, sometimes they're going to come against you. The high calling comes with a high cost of opposition and sometimes rejection. People insult you. People persecute you. The word persecute means to chase you, to pursue you to the limit, to not let it go. People slander you. People in the community, people in workplace may make malicious lies, start rumors, innuendos against you, misunderstanding. It could happen to you. Will you faithfully endure when those things happen? Will you respond not with a curse, but with a blessing? He says, when those days happen and you faithfully endure, he says, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Think long term. Yes, it may hurt in the moment, but God has your back. And you shouldn't be bummed because no way, God knows. And he says, I'm going to repay you far beyond what you could ever imagine. And in fact, there are good reasons for this confidence and joy. That's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You have the kingdom, you experience God's reign, you have your heavenly reward to look forward to, and you have an incredible heritage. You're walking in the footsteps of real heroes incredible prophets. So the, the response that we have is faithfulness to Christ and good news. That's how we become heroes. To willingly endure persecution and hardship when life is tough. And to be faithful to the message of Jesus no matter what. And sometimes that's real challenging because it's so unpopular in our culture. And, and there may be points where it's real tough to continue, not in an obnoxious way, but in a joyful and, and, but enduring way to hold on to your convictions. Martin Luther, the great reformer who lived 500 years ago, reminded us of the, to be faithful to the message, to the scriptures. When he said, if, we, if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition of every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christ. For where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. So we have to hold fast to the faithful word. For what Christians have believed and taught for 2,000 years, we need to hold fast to as well. We need to endure, faithfully endure. The common path is to avoid that, to not risk it, to not stand out, to compromise. The uncommon path of the hero, though, is to be willing to take some heat. It's risky to follow Jesus Christ. Some will turn against you. You might be unpopular. There is a cost for every single person who chooses to become a Christ follower. There are some people who just will not understand. They will not accept you. And they might even turn against you. And the culture will not always support you. You will be an oddball. And you will have to do hard things. But where does it all lead? Jesus promises us that there's still great reward. And the people who make the biggest impact are those who pay the biggest price. Here's where you will find joy and where you will become a hero, a difference maker, a legacy maker. So let's go back to that church at Antioch. These people who met persecution with faithfulness to the gospel, 
with bridge building to neighbors, crossing boundaries of ethnicities, loving people that were different from them, establishing friendships. Look what happened in verse 21. It says, the Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. In spite of their unpopularity at times, there were people who noticed the faithful endurance of these people who had been persecuted. And there was something admirable about that. There was something magnetic and, and attractive about the, the believers themselves and their message. And God used people who kept on loving people who were like them, who, people who didn't agree with them, and kept on speaking their faith to make Antioch an incredible place for the church and to make Antioch eventually a world center for Christianity. For centuries, Antioch became the center where people were sent out as witnesses to Jesus Christ, as theologians, as missionaries, as incredible disciple makers of Jesus Christ. And if that happened in an unlikely, incredibly pagan place that made Rome look like leave it to beaver, if that happened in Antioch, why couldn't it happen here? Why couldn't, why not us? Why not here? Why not now? Why not start with you? You could become a hero of the faith. It takes faithful endurance to do that. But let's keep moving. The second trait that I love to focus on from the church in Antioch is this. You choose the path of sacrificial generosity. Let's read the scriptures again. It says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It was an insult at first. Christers, Christers, Christians, Jesus freaks. But the, the early believers took that on. They said, yeah, we are about Christ, Christ, Christ. So if you call us Christians or Christians, we'll take it. And this is what real Christians are like. Look what they did. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. And each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea, a place where there was a lot more hardship. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. They sent it back to Jerusalem because Jerusalem didn't have the resources and also because the gospel came first from Jerusalem. So see guys, in any kind of crisis that we face, where it be very small one, just among our family or maybe our friends or neighborhood or whole community or even as a nation and world, we can be like everybody else. We can panic or we can get very depressed or discouraged or we can just look out for ourselves and, and get real selfish. Or we can look for opportunities in the midst of the crisis to say, you know, this is a day for a believer in Jesus to step up. This is a day for us to make a difference. This is a day for us to stand out. And so it's a willingness to be different in days of crisis, to be different, to be like Jesus, to be generous, to be sacrificial. That's what Jesus was like. That's what the church at Antioch was like. And that's what made the difference. That's why Christianity grew and spread like crazy. There's all sorts of generosity and action that happens uh, in our day here at Valley Church, and I want to thank you guys for your incredible generosity. It's been so meaningful. And because of your generosity, we can keep um, blessing the people in our community and in, in, in around the world uh, who are truly in need. Uh, people who are single moms who are just trying to make ends meet. Uh, we've, we've been able to meet needs there. People who are affected by unemployment, 
by their disability. Uh, we've been able to uh, uh, reach out to them and bless them with, with financial assistance, with health assistance, and because of your generosity. Uh, helping the needy with food, with clothing, um, with lodging needs, whatever it might be, because of your generosity, we've been there to help. Uh, I mentioned last weekend our disaster, Valley Disaster Relief, helping people who, whose homes have been damaged through storms or tornadoes, and removing trees and, and other uh, disaster uh, effects. Uh, blessing people who are refugees, former refugees and immigrants who are Global Greens Farm. All those Love You Des Moines types of things that Valley Church has made the center of what we do in reaching out to community is because of generosity that makes all those things happen. Our entire Valley Community Center, millions reaching hundreds of thousands of people each and every year. Since eight years ago, it began almost exactly eight years ago this weekend. Thank you for your generosity. And I want to just remind you about generosity very quickly. There's different stages of it that every believer goes through. One is kind of an emerging generosity. And it means that you're in the game. You're, you're giving of your resources. You're not content to be a spectator. You're actually giving your resources to, to the ministry of Valley Church uh, to see God's kingdom move forward. The second is to give your first fruits. That is, you're not just giving, but you're, you're making it a pattern of your life. You're giving the first fruits of your income and setting that aside each and every time. Each and every week or every month, you make that a pattern. Um, a third one is courageous giving. That is, you go over and above uh, your just first fruits giving, and you're saying, I'm going to get stretched. I'm going to make some sacrifice. It's kind of scary for me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I see the need and I see the impact. And then the last one, of course, is boundless generosity. When you're actually looking for opportunities to say, Lord, I've stepped out in faith so many times. I've seen you provide. Lord, everything I have is yours. Just put me in. Show me where there's opportunities, and I'll even be more generous. So where are you on that? And let's, in the coming year, look to step forward into the next stage. Because you usually don't end up as a boundlessly generous person. It usually, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes moments. But it is something that has always marked the Christian church, the generosity of God's people. I want to tell you a story about uh, this church at Antioch, and eventually it spread throughout the Roman Empire, so much so that 300 years plus uh, Later, there was an emperor, his name was Julian. And Julian actually um, was, was baptized as an infant, as a Christian. But when he came of age and eventually became emperor, he rejected the Christian faith and actually returned to the polytheism and the idolatry of all the pagan idols. And he was frustrated in this because he, he, he just set kept seeing the church growing and growing and growing. And he mocked the church. In fact, he, he started with the whole idea of Jesus becoming uh, a human being. And he said, that's impossible. In fact, um, he said, look, look here. He says, the idea of an incarnation of God, God taking a human on human flesh, is absurd. Why should the human race think itself so superior to bees, to ants, to elephants, as to be put in this unique relation to its maker? He says, Christians are like a council of frogs in a marsh or a synod, a meeting of worms on a dunghill, croaking and squeaking. It was for our sakes that the world was created. He's mocking Christians who think that we, of all people, the human race, were made in the image and likeness of God, and that one day 
God took on human flesh in the person of Jesus. He mocks it. He says, what makes you think you're so special? We're just, just like bees and elephants and ants. Does that sound like incredibly modern? Yeah. They had their opposition then too. But what really bothered him was the generosity of the early Christians. Because the generosity of the early Christians so overwhelmed the ancient world that an emperor in the 300s, this guy, Julian, who became known eventually as Julian the Apostate because of his turning on the Christian faith, uh, felt the need to try to stop this because Christianity was spreading so fast. He wrote to a priest of Roman paganism and said it would be necessary for those who followed the Roman religions to start doing something for those in need, to create um, lodging for immigrants and foundations uh, monetary for the poor. The Roman Emperor Julian, writing in the 300s, regretted the progress of Christianity because it pulled people away from the Roman gods. He said atheism, which is how he referred to the Christianity because they rejected the Roman gods, has been especially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers, through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jewish person who is a beggar. And that, he, look what he says here. This is great. I think that when the poor happen to be neglected by all the pagan folks and overlooked by the priests, that's the pagan priests, the impious Galileans, the followers of Jesus, observed this need and devoted themselves to compassion. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. They love everybody. They care about everybody in the community. And that's why Christianity is spreading like crazy. And he was lamenting this. Guys, that's the power of sacrificial generosity. That's the impact we make. And even 2,000 years later, that's how we make an impact by sacrificially and generously giving of our resources, our time, our energies to help people, to bless people, to make friendships, to befriend people who are very different from us and far from God and to generously give of our lives. So today, as we come to the Lord's table, it's time to remember this. It's time to remember that Jesus himself in the bread and the cup gives us reminders of, of what he did and how he is the ultimate hero, our hero. So as you pre prepare and take the bread that you've set aside and take the cup and remember Jesus, signified by the bread and the cup, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus given for us. Remember these scriptures, both first, that, that faithful endurance, says of Jesus, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then there's the sacrificial generosity of Jesus. And Paul reminds us of this. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, had the glories of heaven, had the riches of heaven, yet for your sake he became poor. He gave his life on the cross for you and for me. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Father in heaven, thank you that Jesus, you showed for us the sacrificial generosity. You gave up the glories of heaven to become poor for us, dying on the cross for our sins so that we become blessed with forgiveness, with adoption into your family, with the Holy Spirit and with everlasting life, true riches. And that you faithfully endure the agonies of the cross to set us free. Thank you, Lord. And now as we receive this body, signified by the bread, and remember your blood shed for us in the cup. Enrich us, fill us up, and help us to honor and glorify you, Lord Jesus, in everything. And all God's people said, amen. I invite you to partake and to remember the Lord Jesus. God bless you all.